Hey everybody, welcome back to the cast. It's Sam here. I'm recording on a late night, so I'm trying to speak as softly as possible. Just want to welcome you and remind you that the views and opinions expressed on this program are those of the people expressing them and may not necessarily represent the views of our church. With that said, enjoy! So it's been a few weeks now that we've been uh, recording these shorter episodes. They've been averaging, you know, 20 to 30 minutes shorter than, than the way we used to do them. But if there's some of you out there that are kind of missing the longer length of the episodes, then I have some some really good, really practical advice for you. You can uh, go on your Podbean app. That's what I use to listen to my podcasts on. And you can actually change the speed of the podcast that you're listening to. So I have it here at 0.6. So if you listen to it at that speed, the podcast will actually be about almost twice as long. So if you take a 40 minute podcast and for example, listen to it at half speed, that's going to be an hour and 20 minutes long. So there you go. So problem solved. Here's what it sounds like. saying There's different like strains and uh, different kinds of stuff with different compounds that are good and bad and medicinal not and whatever and so like that's mike and i talking about weed and the (laughs) the one downside of that is we actually sound like we've been using it yeah 100 percent. so um it's it's very funny if you want to if you want to give that a try because that is that is unfortunately the only means you have right now to get a longer podcast from us or you could just not listen for two weeks and then go back to back. Either way, your choice. Anyway, Mike, um, shifting gears a little bit here. I've uh, I've been growing my beard out, as everyone you knows. Have yeah, I'm uh, not sure that it's for me though, because I just can't stop playing with it. I even sitting here right now, I just it gets wanna, worse. So I just, oh, it actually gets worse. Like you don't ever like lose the joy of stroking your beard. <laughs> My wife, I <laughs> know uh, you don't. No, my wife says I need to stop stroking because I'll just sit there and like just try to play with it, and then the hair falls out and gets everywhere. Like right now. Oh really? Is it? Are you almost like a cat, like shedding? Um, I will never identify as a cat. <laughs> are you almost like a dog shedding? A wolf. Yes. Okay, a wolf. Yeah, a big bearded wolf. <laughs> That's one way to look at it. Yeah. Ooh. Yep. Sorry, we're eating chips here. A little bit of uh, chips getting stuck in my throat. But yeah, beards are, uh, I mean, I do think they they add about two or three years, I think, onto me. Like, I think without the beard, I look about 22, 23. And with the beard, maybe tw- I could pass for 26, probably, 27. Yeah, I don't know. I've been told I have a bit of a baby face and, like, very youthful eyes before. You, but. <laughs> you definitely have youthful eyes. That is for sure. Can't, can't avoid that when you have blue eyes. But also, just I think, adds a nice proportion to the two, to the face. It does, yeah. You can really, if you have, like, a weak jaw, you can add some volume there. And well, I just feel like my forehead's so big 
Mm. that when i don't have the beard like i lose like a third of my face and just like it's all forehead it's so annoying it's so jarring when you shave your beard though because i know is, you did right? like back in the winter i, I think. hated it yeah i think i need to i'm getting to the point where i kind of need to change it up i think but i don't know it's obviously so just like like what's the right word it's just so um narcissistic to care that much <laughs> about the way my face looks but there's definitely been episodes that we've recorded of the cast where I can distinctly hear you stroking your beard like, oh, really? into the mic. And I, I try to silence it. Like if I'm talking, I can silence it. There's other times where you're talking and I, there's not much I can do. Oh, that's funny. Yeah. Yeah. You, uh, it's a bit of ASMR going on there. Uh, I don't, I don't want to be producing that, but Hey, if you, I guess if you like it, I can start a YouTube channel and make some money. So why not? There probably is like beard stroking ASMR on YouTube. <laughs> Man, the internet, we, we find out just how to make the dumbest things well you know who else had a beard or at least christian art portrays him as such jesus oh that's an awesome segue that's <laughs> I know, great i know um i did want to talk about this tonight though because i was just thinking earlier this week how we have a uh you know conception of jesus as like having long hair and having a big beard and usually like kind of white robes and you know, a tunic and, and sandals, like that is the image that's been, um, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know, traditionally passed down throughout history. Although I, I guess suppose everyone kind of probably looked like that, I guess, back in Jesus' time. But like, where do, where do we think that comes from? Like, how early would they have started producing like icons of Jesus to sort of illustrate his life, you know, maybe for children or, or just for for people? Because I guess people like religious iconography they find it helpful yeah um i'm pretty sure it was really early yeah i'm pretty sure one one of the early debates was actually about creating images of jesus right because as the image of god incarnate and the one of the commandments being not making the image an idol of oh, god right image, yeah. that it was one of those debates are we allowed to if he is the image of the invisible god mm -hmm. but we've seen his face and we can like so yeah. is it a wrong and i think ultimately the decision was it's not wrong because He's the image incarnate. Mm -hmm. um, but those early ones, right? It's just, it's very, if I remember seeing them correctly, it's still very just like, it wasn't realism. Right, right? yeah. yeah. And it was so, a very basic representation. Yeah, the stuff that we've developed into now, right? This white British. Yeah, it's a blonde Jesus. Beautiful Jesus. <laughs> um, is not what original iconog iconog <laughs> I can't speak tonight. Iconography. Iconography, wow. Don't add that out. That's just real. Um, and I also stutter. So what can you do? Um, was it really about like, it, it was more about capturing, yeah, the story mm -hmm. in, in the, in, and the thing is we don't understand, I don't think well enough what icons in, in, in art was meant to be in the church. Mm -hmm. I remember doing a history class, Eastern history, um, which we don't often cover ever in school, but I got to do a history class in, in college on it and it covered um some like the eastern orthodox church and things like that yeah i also had a class on the church fathers from mm -hmm. the same professor who's really who's really big and one of the actually few scholars who knew about this in the western world um talking about the power of icons and image yeah. and symbol and how we've kind of got afraid of that, that yeah we, that we're afraid of venerating icons or worshiping through an image well which yeah I think like, is a fine the, fear in the catholic church they often get accused of you know particularly like old school reform types as like worshiping idols in the church because they've got usually jesus on the cross up at the front very 
you know, yeah. explicit, very detailed. And well, that one's a little, I think, having Jesus on the cross still, I think actually is theologically problematic. <laughs> I've got one in my room. And you're theologically problematic. That's <laughs> the thing. Because he ain't there no more, right? I know, but I, do, like, I don't think there's anything wrong there's nothing with wrong acknowledging with that he did die. He did, but he also came back. And so, I don't know. Like but it's, it, but it, to me, like, the more compelling image of the cross would be the empty, like, of his death would be the empty tomb, if you want to illustrate the fact that, like, yeah, like which, like, I mean, you don't really hang empty tombs on a wall. It's not We as, could try. It's our new thing. Yeah. It's I think that would be confusing. C3KW tradition. Yeah. Um, no, like, and again, I don't really feel there's a big issue, because, yeah, it is a, it's a remembrance thing. Mm-hmm. And that was actually what um, this professor would say, is he said that, like, uh, part of the, the use of them was to almost subconsciously remind you of truth mm-hmm. because your brain kind of processes the image before right. you consciously process the image. And so he talked about like, that's why there's in a lot of these, especially Eastern um, religious homes, all the crosses and all like the, the images and the icons, because it just was like, no matter where you look, you're reminded of Christ, reminded of Christ, reminded of Christ, mm-hmm. where they were their necklaces and things. At least that's what he communicated, whether that's true or not. I don't know, but I like the idea of it, right? having these it's kind of like like your wedding ring right mm, yeah. i wear it and i look at it and it, and it it's meant to be like you're married bro right? yeah not that i ever need to be reminded of that but just like i think the use of iconography i can't even say that iconography, word iconography man. iconography i'm having a rough night sam mm-hmm. this must have been my fasting day i'm so holy um i'm <laughs> just kidding um but uh was to do that to bring us back into remembrance of jesus in some way to retell the story. I think, I definitely think there's probably times in church history where it got too much. Yeah. And like we did kind of idolize that which we created. I think there's like, there's definitely some problematic things when you consider that like, you know, the the Christians at the time would have like conquered these like native tribes and like stomped on their lands and then erected these huge gold cathedrals while like tons of people were starving. Like when you put it that way. Like <laughs> well, in, there's in that part of injustice. Too, yeah. right? But also just the idea like, Religiously, you're building shrines to Mary. Well, like, yeah, like yep. that's that, that's a problem. That is a problem, right? Yep. Because Mary is a woman, right? I don't mind the image of Mary. The image of Mary is fine, right? Jesus, but believing like, that, like, you need to go to this special shrine to be able to pray to this thing, yeah, right? to, or praying to saints for. The, I mean, like, that we'll save that for the for Catholic all, episode. For all the, <laughs> <laughs> but I think that's part of the the this conversation only because the statues and things are part of the Christian art. Yes, right. And I remember one professor saying that the issue was that the art can replace the image that's not supposed to be in your head of God. Right. Right. So it like, so you have to go to this place. It formalizes to, God yes, in some way. Right. And so there is a danger of that. And I don't think we'll ever, because even if you think about Jesus now, like you probably have some thing that pops into your mind. That's not accurate of who he is. For, for right. For me, it'd be like my children's illustrated Bible story. Book right. That I had, Which, like, yeah. And so that's like sometimes like when I think about Jesus or think about coming to him in worship, I actually try to purposely not, this is probably too much, but not view the face. Right. Like, and, and kind of think about a lot of times I try to make it very regal in the mm. sense of like coming into this courtroom of God, like the throne room of heaven, right? And like bowing at his feet. And so I can like, I kind of image the feet on the throne. And I know he's a father and he's good, but it just, it helps me, I think, in a sense, protect my mind from wanting to see something, if that makes sense, which is kind of like the Protestant fear. Yes. Um, where I do think like, we talked about this before, like, Art in church is a good thing. Yeah. I think I think we should care about our art, mm-hmm. whatever form that comes out of, like whether it's Instagram art nowadays, which I know people probably wouldn't think of 
in this category, but it's still art we create, right? Um, and in the way our churches do look, mm-hmm. right? Or the images we put up, right? The yes. symbols, the banners, right? Because the funny thing is, so we, we, we will put up banners with our vision statement, right? As if that is like not worshiping what we're creating. Right, yeah, yeah. But let's not have an image of... Yeah, yeah. Feeding five thousand. Right. Yeah. Right. Stations so I, can't have stations of the cross. So I think I think there is a culture thing there. There's a tradition thing. There's a couple of generations removed now because I don't mm-hmm. think like my generation, us, care even or even no. think about it. No. Right. Because we because yeah. that whole stained glass statue thing isn't really. It's it's the old churches that do that. It's not really like it's, it's not even a concern for a lot of us. Yeah. Um. Both good and bad because mm-hmm. I think because I think. It can be distracting. I love stained glass. Um, Big fan. I think it can, yeah. Like, I, I, like it's funny because some of like the backgrounds they put out for like worship music is stained yeah. glass themed. I, I've right? intentionally chosen some of those right? just because I think they're so beautiful and, and they and feel like, holy to me. But well, well, I think that's where the line becomes blurry, right? It's like, right, yes. why does this thing feel holy? Yeah, it, it's because like so for me the justification was that it evokes a feeling of being in a holy place like mm-hmm. like a church a gathering of god's people that yeah. would be my and so then you could get into the bigger historical conversation of why mm. the catholics and Protestants oh, yeah. went wow because the place isn't holy it's the it's the presence of jesus which could be anywhere so let's not venerate a place mm-hmm. and say this is holy ground because we don't need to go to jerusalem anymore because the spirit's broken out like it gets into a much bigger kind of conversation but i think christians and myself you know me sam often can theologize to the point of death <laughs> mm-hmm. it's like just get over it like mm. don't do not worship this image how, how do you do that i can't tell you if you're worshiping the image your heart does yeah and you know it yeah. right um and if you're like you're in a church which has all those images and stuff and you're like you can't be there because it's so distracting there are we were just trying to estimate how many churches we think are in the world today yeah <laughs> earlier right like there's a lot of churches you can go to another one but i think the use of art in the church probably should get better hmm. i don't really know what that looks like my, my brain can't conceive of that necessarily because i don't think it should be going back i do um, think the church should feel set apart though in some way like i you are you're coming into a place like the public gathering of god's people like a, a place that's meant to be holy so i think it should feel a little different and i think that that's what i do like about some of the older church buildings is like this is distinctly a church this is distinctly what it's yeah, for. But then let's go back in the larger conversation. Yeah. Right? The only reason why we call it church is because some German guys didn't really want to interpret Ecclesia right. <laughs> right? And we've made it the building. Right, yeah. So to sort of go into that space actually is to be very The sanctuary, I should say. Maybe. But even that, right? Like the church was the gathered people of God. Mm-hmm. Right? So whether that's China in the caves with candlelight, mm. the beaches in New Zealand on sunsets, the mountains of Tibet. It sounds like a poem. Right. I don't know. It's right? like you're writing a love letter to someone. <laughs> uh, so that's where like, I would say actually probably there is too much of a veneration of space then. Yeah. Or the risk is there. Yeah. Right. Cause there actually should be like kingdom. Okay. So kingdom theology would be that, I think, and, I'm, and it may be mislabeling that, but that's how I would call it, so whatever, would actually be that no space ultimately is unholy. And to try to separate those two things out is to go into a spiritual dualism that hmm. we want to avoid because we're not Platonists, right? Yeah. There's not the unholy and the holy in our good world created. There's things that we've done 
that are unholy, like we talk about spaces that maybe have been dedicated to evil, yeah, right, or acts that we do that are evil. Uh, but that's why, like, the idea of the sacred, the sacred in, in the secular, in the Christian world, we're we're trying to fight, right? Mm. This isn't like Christian music, and sec- it's music from the heart of, right? And so, in that sense, sure, there's like Christian-made buildings, mm-hmm. but like, is it holier because it's Christian-made, right? Or, or what? Because if if the idea is reverence and separate and separateness that we evoke through structure i think like you can definitely think about that and um but i would also argue that potentially that difference or that 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 separateness could just be the the kind of beauty we're trying to evoke Mm -hmm. which Mm -hmm. maybe for you is what that holiness looks like and so that could be a deeper i just would i would just very much want to avoid well this feels like a church well yeah. Well, why? Well, that, and then that right. is, a, of course, shaped by my own experience of having gone to churches throughout my life and and been inside of a church and, you know, a, an idea of church that I didn't even create, like someone else, you know, thousands of, a thousand years ago kind of created some of that. Idea. Like, I don't know how long stained glass windows on like old wooden or old stone church buildings has been around, but I assume it's been probably a thousand years, if not more. Yeah, and probably costs a lot of money. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's it, true. And yeah, we don't really live in the world well where the funds exist to make that happen anymore. Well, it's not even that. I would just say like for a lot of the modern church that gets all mad about where to just spend their money, mm-hmm. am I trying to go back and saying, well, we're going to create a bunch of art? Mm-hmm. People people freak out about that, right? Like you kind of mentioned how they you know, native populations coming in and erecting cathedrals. Mm-hmm. Probably stained glass in them. Right. So yeah. is, is so then I think we just got to be that's where we have to kind of, I think, just dig into our hearts. Like, why do we because I think is I'm kind of being a little bit picky on it, but cause I actually do agree with you a lot. I think churches should be beautiful. If we're going to create mm-hmm. a church, make it beautiful. Right. Yeah. Be aesthetically pleasing because there is like even um, I read what some did I read the, this week at church? Uh, oh, no, it was Isaiah. Isaiah, yeah. Isaiah like 61. And he talks about how the glory of the Lord will be revealed. But the Hebrew is that his beauty would be manifest. Mm. That, there, that there's something about the beauty of God that we want to connect to. And I think making crappy spaces is not honoring to God. Like mm. if, we have, if we have the means to do it well for him, why not create good art? Talk about that's like just having a crappy movie, calling it Christian is not honoring mm-hmm. to Jesus. But we have to, I think, think that, that that is the wrestle. Like I think it has to be, it has to be the creative human endeavor that's done from the heart of God. Of, of loving Jesus. Mm-hmm. If that creates beautiful buildings, so be it. Mm-hmm. If it creates beautiful paintings, please do it, right? Now, when it comes to maybe on the more like specifically theological worship, aids of worship maybe, or aids of that, I would much rather 100% have like beautiful art to look at mm-hmm. as an aid to beauty or an aid to worship mm-hmm. than, than a bunch of like you know really like really cheesy hallmarky looking well just yeah like all that stuff that we used to think was so cool yeah so what i want to dig into a little bit more is um yeah just the idea of, of art as an aid to worship because i know we've talked about before you know there was that push for a while as a response to these ornate cathedrals to do like just totally simple no imagery like you know you're not looking at the band or anything like that like it's all 
it's just very simple and it's only Jesus, only the word, like just back to basics. But I do think that, you know, having an idea of what Jesus looks like, I mean, Henry Nouwen's book, Return of the Prodigal Son, is basically all about him dissecting this one depiction of one of Jesus' parables about the the prodigal son and, you know, really connecting with the characters in that painting and understanding the emotions as a way to, like, express something in the story that ultimately I think rings true the way he, he interprets the painting. I, I do think that art can play such an awesome role in how you relate to the word of God and, you know, to your idea of God, like I, and just reminding you and getting you in that headspace where you can worship and pray. And like, so when I, you know, do times of silent prayer, I like to put on like ambient music, for example, it's not necessarily holy, but it, it's an aid. It puts me in that right mood, right headspace that I can really just focus on, on my prayer. So I, yeah, like it seems like we, we can go swing so far the other way, but yeah, this is a, it's a weird question. It's like, what are you actually worshiping in that point? Are you worshiping Jesus or are you worshiping like how you feel because of all the elements that you've brought together? And mm. I can see where people maybe get uneasy about that, about art, almost like playing a, a bigger role than it should being more than just an aid, but actually being the object of your worship. Um, I don't it's know. It's usually visual art. Yeah. Usually visual art. Worship is art. Yeah. Music. Yeah. Right. No one's ever complained about singing. That's true. And I mean, it, it's biblical to It's just because of music. the image of God kind of um, history, right? Mm-hmm. That, that kind of traditional line and connecting back to that visual piece, visual distraction, visual image. Um, but I do think even that can be helpful. Mm-hmm. I do think if you can't worship without ambient music, probably a bad thing yeah right mm. and you got to figure that out mm. why what's the connection what do i need like sometimes um i've gotten too attached to playing my guitar and then when i can't like play guitar i feel like i can't pray mm. well then i'm actually not really praying i'm like training myself in a certain vein of something expression and not to say a bad expression but just it's it's limiting myself mm. yeah well and oftentimes to ambient music the point of it is actually almost to remove other sounds from my environment because it, it's not a super distracting genre of music. Mm-hmm. It's not like a cheesy penny whistle or something like that. Like it's like very slow, just drawn out kind of chords yep. that you barely even notice it changing around you. And it drowns out, you know, maybe my roommate, sorry, Paul, if you're listening, <laughs> is playing, um, you know, Minecraft with his friends yep. in the next room. And I don't want to be distracted by that. Yeah. And to I'm me, playing. that is just, that's Christian liberty. If it's going to help you pray, mm. sure. Yeah. Right? Like, because sometimes y'all put on worship music and still get distracted by the worship music. Like, oh, I'm thinking about that nice lyric. And I'm like, oh, wait, I'm supposed to be praying right now. Yeah. You know, right? So, like, I think we can get too too stuck up in some of our stuff in that way. If someone comes to me and says, Mike, I'm praying, and here's how I'm praying, and it's not, like, anything against the Bible, prohibitive, mm. sure. I'm not going to tell you not to do that. If it's, I look at images of Jesus painted by Rembrandt or something, I don't even know if he's ever painted a picture of Jesus, and it helps elicit something, cool. Do you need to do it every time? No. Hopefully not. Right? Like, yeah. art communicates. Preaching is art in a, That's in, true. In a form. Yeah. And I think we just got to be okay with that. I think, like, stained glass and 
images are just such a huge thing because like they are so evoking mm. but it has just been this traditional of like it's been a debate in the church are we allowed to or are we not right and i would say at the end of the day though like if the jesus picture you have is white <laughs> well it's not it's not accurate so it's probably not it's arguably not good art <laughs> like come on i do love those orthodox icons i've got one actually on the back of my laptop it's true got it off red bubble I think I think there's something really cool about that. Like, like I think it, the bigger question is, does a non-white Jesus make you uncomfortable? Because I've kind of had people do that, and it's not even like on purpose, but it's just like because they've seen that image so often. It's like, yeah. no, like, oh yeah, like there was that like rendering of what Jesus probably looked like that right? came on the web based on like DNA evidence collected, and it's like you know a very Middle Eastern or North African looking Jesus. Yeah, and uh, yeah, I'm sure that produced strong emotions. Like, in do some we people, assume but... Jesus is white? I do all the time. I think, yeah, it is hard to shake that a little bit. I right? think if you like ask, ask me honestly, I think Jesus was probably very Middle Eastern. Oh yeah, I know that. Yeah. But like the images that gets evoked mm -hmm. so fast is that- All the children's storybooks. Yeah, it's this white Caucasian Jesus, which again, I don't think it's necessarily problematic because, you know, it's, it'd be, the thing is, I think what I get interested about is like people who are like, are okay with the white Jesus but like lose their mind at black Jesus. Oh yeah. Or Korean Jesus. Right. I'm just thinking of like 2021 jump street. <laughs> oh, like, like, like he didn't have dreadlocks and he didn't have blue eyes. Guys, <laughs> like, like his hair probably wasn't straight. Right. Like, and so it's like, you know, and, and I think when both, when any kind of race just identifies Christ as their thing, when evidently we know he was like Middle Eastern looking by all accounts, right. Even Isaiah says nothing about him was like, necessarily superb who's just this average looking guy like we i think we just gotta get over like wanting to create him in our image that's i think the interesting thing about it and i felt that i've known i've known friends who've done it in with their own race um which is ironic in the gospel because race comes underneath grace and we are one family one tribe one nation under jesus you know unified in our diversity but yet we still will like attach such a like simple thing to like such a powerful image race wow. underneath grace wow put that in a sermon <laughs> i want to say that again race underneath grace sam's feeling it now i'm preaching now, now I'm you're preaching. preaching but yeah it's just like because again i can admit it like if someone says i like, think of jesus admittedly it's it's those bible story books which are not accurate right and, I, and again are they ever going to be no we don't like we like they're meant the to thing. introduce kids to jesus right kids aren't gonna they need an image we all we, well, he, we all need an image. We do, right? And yeah. so it's just not holding those images too tightly. Yeah. And then if you do get offended by different images, asking yourself why. Yeah. Right? And is it worship or is it something else? Mike, what's your Enneagram type? Sam, don't be a Christian white girl. I'm just asking the hard questions that everyone wants to know. Here's the thing. Here's the thing. My wife says I'm a one, hmm. which depending on who you ask is like the reformer or the idealist or something like that. Oh, you're a reformer. We got a regular John Calvin here. <laughs> <laughs> Here's the issue with the Enneagram right now is number one, sure, it can be helpful, mm -hmm. but it's no Myers-Briggs. Well, number one, <laughs> yes. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, well, it's not, but you know. Um, 
and yes, it's rooted in Christian mystical tradition, mm. right? Through the Catholic Church and everything like mm. that. Um, and it has been used for hundreds of years, and I get that. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe not always well, but whatever. Mm. And like all these is like people kind of rediscovering this thing. Like, come on, guys. Yeah. Like it. But um, we just like, I just feel like so many people are just like identifying as their Enneagram thing right now. Yeah, now they're like, a like even to the annoying point of like, oh, I'm such a one. It's like, get over yourself. <laughs> like, just like, especially when it's like justification for like stupidity and sin. Mm. Uh, that's that's kind of a Christian thing for, because I know it's bigger mm-hmm. than Christianity right now, but like, you yes. know, well, of course I do this because I'm a seven. Well, you should look at it as a, like, a uh, room to grow. Like, you should actually, if you're going to use it correctly, I feel like you should be like, I have this tendency, this is true. That's they the point thing, it out, right? and it's, it's actually something that might not be healthy for me, and I should try to um, at least be the best version of this personality type not exhibit these bad qualities i think in all of them like emily's done it so many times and every time she's different oh really yes because i think we all actually embody every single one oh yeah in some way and even like even like that's why i really like the myers-briggs not to compare them is because the myers-briggs is yes it's a 16 set you know personality types but within that um at least when you do like more professional tests yeah there's gradation between them and like yeah and like all the different dimensions like mean something and yeah there's like the spectrum yeah so the one that i did i had to do it for like a my church planning coaching stuff yeah uh with tom lamshed is really good and each um each category so i ie all the way down each had five different essentially dimensions that you could like go to the one or the other Mm -hmm. so you I, i was an i Mm-hmm. But like two of my components were like full E, mm. right? So I had like a, I had a I preference, but I would fall into E in certain things. And yeah. you, you can guess what they kind of were, right? Talking in front of people, demonstrative, kind of like, right? <laughs> yeah. And that's kind of just, that is me. I'm an introvert. I know that. Mm-hmm. I gain my, my power, my, my energy from, you know, internal processing and self, but I do extrovert pretty hard when I extrovert, yeah, yeah. right? Um, and so that's why i kind of like that one more just to be honest because it actually is it's not just 16 components it's way it's, more detailed it's so much yeah it's much more detailed and i find that one of the things that he kept saying to me was like you know there are nobody's an inf i am an intj now i was always an infj and whenever mm-hmm. i did them but now i'm an intj according to the more official study yeah because there's no intj like you and there are a hundred thousand like you and just the idea of like there's commonality, but there's always individuality. Yeah. Right. And just the preferences go so deep in that. That's why I like that one more. I, yeah. I think they're useful, like high level diagnostics of the self. Yes. But, but they the definitely thing is, don't I can't allow down. that even still to justify. Yes. Right. That is my, the danger. Yeah. My lack of pacing, my lack mm. of un- empathy sometimes. You are, right? according to this, rational, idealistic, principled, purposeful, self controlled, and perfectionistic. Yep. According to the, the Enneagram. I would say that I'm also lazy, mm-hmm. self-centered. Mm-hmm. Right? I mean, I'm not agreeing with that. Well, like, I, think, I would I'm say sure that some of I those things you. are true, but then yeah. at my worst, right, I'm yeah. principally yeah. lazy. <laughs> <laughs> I really want to serve myself right now, right? Like, yeah. so anyway, it's the whole point is the Enneagram itself is just, just don't let it become your Bible, no. ladies. Like, And I mainly say ladies because they're the only ones who usually talk about it with me. I'm sure I, I find this stuff fun, though. I'm sure there's a lot of guys into it, which is fine. Like, it's not like a gender thing. I'm just saying, because ladies talk about it a lot more. And like the whole like Enneagram and coffee 
Instagram thing. <laughs> like, come on. It just, we get, we focus in and then it's like, just like Bibles and coffee. Like what's it going to be in three months from now? That's my next thing. Like Enneagram got big cause it got big in the business world and like self-help world. Yeah. And then what's the next thing? Which is just the poor man's version of spirituality. Ooh, Sam. But, um, because like everyone, like leadership podcasts and blogs are getting on it. Yeah. Um, Richard I, Rohr's got some books on it. But like it's, it's blown up and it's like whatever it's just it's not jesus and again we talk about how like our personality needs to be reformed that's right, right. like that's right i'm an angry personality no you need jesus right? i wonder like, what jesus enneagram type was oh he was on all, all nine <laughs> he's all perfectly. of them yes the highest level he's the everything. highest achiever of all of them um but no like that's the thing it's just like as long as you're not allowing any of this stuff to ultimately define you or excuse you hmm. have your fun but the point is you weren't meant to be made in the image of jesus over and over again right and so that's why i just get like sort of annoyed with it because it's like well i'm such a one i'm what i'm like no okay no just cool your jets there <laughs> like on like self-understanding is so important self-awareness especially for leadership if you're a leader you got to know yourself know your tendencies know what you do but it's like I don't know. Every time Emily reads me another one, I'm like, yeah, I do that. And it's like a different number. So it, I don't know. And Enneagram just annoys me right now because everyone's into it. And is maybe this, I'm one of those guys who just like having that thing that like no one else likes or something. I'm, I'm, Mike, does it, do these characteristics describe you? Sensitive, introspective, expressive, dramatic, self-absorbed, and temperamental. Yes. Well, that's the Enneagram 4. Right? Like <laughs> that, that's, that's what I tested as. But what's it called the individualist the individualist aren't four is the artist as well yeah yeah i think a lot of creative types tend to be that i'm that's also a, an infp that's my myers-briggs INFP. yeah i i always i always loved being the infj in my own mind because it, it was so rare to be one apparently yes yeah and then my real test came out and i'm not I, mean, I also think personality types are not as stable as we like to believe i i, I yeah i don't think i'm well yeah I feel like I could be other things than just. I think I think we I think we change over time, and I think maturity sometimes maturity actually can like immaturity can can mask personality issues. I would say. Yeah. And that like eventually you grow up, and there's things that you just like. I think you 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 both change and become more of what you really are. Because like yeah. I think in your twenties especially, right? You're just trying to be cool and yeah be valuable and discover mm -hmm. yourself and then hopefully by like 30 35 you're like this is who i am i'm either going to embrace it and be the best version of myself as i can be or i guess have midlife crisis but we're so i think there's just like the idea that i think i would not believe that our personalities are as static as i think we often believe mm. um and that's just purely conjecture and observation and things not like it's proven uh because i'm pretty sure some psychologists would disagree with me that there's comes there's a stability to it which i'm sure there is as well like i've not been radically different but i think my temperaments my patience changes especially if you consider the fruits of the spirit mm -hmm. love joy peace patience kindness goodness gentleness faithfulness like those are i would hope those traits increase in me right and maybe they're more connected to like agreeableness and conscientiousness on the big five but then sure i don't care I'll get better at those, like whatever, yeah. right? Like I want to have that. I want to grow in these things. And and so I, I do think we just got to be careful with that too, that like our personality mapping can become almost idolatry. Mm -hmm. Although I'm a nerd for it. Like I love 
Myers Briggs, like yeah. Moment. Like I'm, I think it's so. I actually, fun. like I thought thought the other day, I need to go back and like reread my test just so I know it. Then I did another one for church when we first started. Um, what was it called? I don't know I have it on my computer that like every so often I just go reread it just like oh, here's all the interesting things about myself right so like I, I think there's value in it 100% but as long as we don't do that with like spiritual gifts tests spiritual gifts actually and turn them into personality well that, that's why I don't like them yeah is because even personality tests I feel like you can answer them the way you want to be answered that's the thing right you can mm -hmm. hide yeah. so you need a really good test that's um, one of my psychologist um, friends said it, it has to be it's not necessarily like how do you say it? I want to make sure I get this right. It was um, psychologically consistent or something like that. Like it was like it, it, like the way that they word them is 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 actually sort of not necessarily like a logical consistency, but psychologically consistent. Mm -hmm. he had I think some, I, I know what you mean. Something yes. like that, which yeah. I never really even considered before. Mm -hmm. um, like a real good test to really sort of get your brain to be as honest even when you're trying maybe not to be like mm. you always have there's a level of one where you have to put in everything and just be willing to receive it i think the older i've gotten the better i've gotten at taking them because i'm more willing to be Whatever, honest yeah right yeah. um well because i mean they're only as good as like how much you actually learn from them about yes, yourself right and, and so like if you like if you want it to be some result then like mm -hmm. don't take it right yeah. but, which is why spiritual gifts tests are stupid to me because every christian should want to be the generous person who gives everything away like yeah. the way that they word it's like these are all christian virtues mm -hmm. right which is why we don't do that we don't we maybe want to use it as like an excuse to not give as much potentially right like so like i've actually oh, i don't have the giving gift well that's why we've done a thing where um not to toot our own horn because we haven't figured it out at all we're still trying to figure it out even now how this all applies in church but like where we we did that kind of like questionnaire model where yeah i've I've set up a framework for how we kind of can discern the giftings and we use that as sort of a way of saying well find those one or two that sound most like you in your you know normal church operations and then make sure every other one is just a discipline you put into practice right mm -hmm. and and so like we kind of have this thing where it's like um it's a four question idea right mm-hmm does this gift that we kind of list down describe, you know, give you sort of an unnatural joy? You have a duty-bound desire or duty-free desire, not duty-bound, duty-free desire to have been considered effective and fruitful or have experienced some like supernatural thing. Mm. Um, and if the answer is yes to like all of those questions, you probably have a gift thing, right? Mm. And, and if I feel duty-bound to be merciful, probably don't have that gifting right although yeah. i would want to be merciful so it's my discipline so i think we've tried to work ourselves around that because yeah. that's what i don't like about the christian spiritual gifts like i think if paul knew that we're doing spiritual gifts tests <laughs> i feel like he would be like he maybe like, would have added a few more like like what <laughs> cautionary uh statements. i don't know i just like i just the more i think about that i'm like I'm, like i just don't see that being the pattern like I think we, we sometimes get so focused on that as well. Like, I think it's important. Obviously, it's part of our central thing of our church. But like, I don't know, just pray with people and let God use you as he sees fit and then recognize that pattern.